What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Connor and welcome to this week's episode of Intelligence Squared Business. Today, we start an exciting new feature where every week we'll be bringing you an episode of the How to Lead a Sustainable Business podcast. In each episode, friend of Intelligence Squared and chairman of Selfridges Group, Alana Weston, speaks to inspiring business leaders who are putting sustainability at the core of their business model and driving innovation in their field. In this first episode, we're featuring The Tables Are Turned, in which host Alana Weston is put in the hot seat herself and speaks about Selfridges Group's own journey on the path to becoming a leading sustainable business. We hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please do search for the How to Lead a Sustainable Business podcast in your podcast app, where you can listen back to all previous episodes with inspiring business leaders. But now let's go to the episode with senior broadcaster at The Times and Sunday Times, Manveen Rana. Change is coming because of sustainability, and it's going to be dramatic. As a business person, why wouldn't you prepare for it? Why wouldn't you prepare and be at the cutting edge of what that new world is going to require? Hello and welcome to How to Lead a Sustainable Business. Usually, this podcast is hosted by Alana Weston, but to kick off season two, she's asked me, Manveen Rana, to put her in the hot seat. If you haven't come across me, I'm a journalist and broadcaster, usually to be found presenting the Stories of Our Times podcast for the Times and the Sunday Times. But today, I'm swapping podcasts and turning the tables on our host to find out about her journey and her passion for sustainability in business. We'll also go behind the scenes of this podcast and find out what's in store for season two. So, Alana Weston, I'd like to warmly welcome you to your own podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It's, um, it's, it's a little different being in this chair. It is a really interesting and sort of varied range of voices um, in season one. I don't know if you can tell us, but give us a sneak peek of what to expect from season two. Well, season two, I wanted to go again back to the how. Because one of my goals was to give other business leaders the confidence to embed sustainability and ESG in every aspect of their business. And I thought, how better to do that than to tell some of the stories of people who've been there? And then I realized that the people that interested me fell into two camps. One were the innovators, the people who'd really started with a big idea and very small and have had developed that and started to disrupt their own industry. But also the transformers who had gone in to existing sectors 
or businesses that they were already running and said, actually, we need to do this differently. And I think both are really interesting and the dynamics between the two, I think, are what's going to solve some of these big problems that we face. Can you give us any of the names? Any sense of who's coming? Oh, yes. We have a fantastic lineup. Really, really exciting. I've just interviewed Vivian Hunt, who is a partner at McKinsey and has advised many businesses on how to implement stakeholder capitalism in their business plans. And she really brings together the personal and the business targets and the business plan. We also spoke with Dave Lewis, who's really been responsible for one of the biggest transformations that have happened in a publicly quoted company, Tesco. And he drove their food waste plan and also championed across the industry plans to really reduce food waste. He's a very practical person and a retailer like me. So I really enjoyed that conversation because it was so much about how do you engage people in your business from your board all the way through to the people working in the stores. And then one of my great interests is architecture. And so Andrew Waugh was an architect that I've known for many years and he specializes in the use of timber. And again, I was just so inspired to hear how we could actually really rethink how we design buildings and make the whole process not only more environmentally friendly from a climate change point of view, but also quieter, cleaner and better for people's well-being. Those are just uh, three, but there are many more that I'm excited to speak to. You really are looking at every aspect of sustainability there. And you've obviously, you know, you, you're really driven to put that at the core of your business model. And it's a brave thing to do. I mean, everyone knows sustainability and the environment are important, but, you know, it often requires investment and a change in culture and a change in thinking. So a lot of companies have been, you know, just been putting it off. What made you think you had to shift focus now? You know, was there a moment when you realised just how urgent the challenge was? Well, I think the impetus really came from the customer. So we had done a project called Project Ocean, which came out of the conversation I had with a friend of mine who is a scientist and he was working at the Zoological Society of London at the time. And one of the things he told me about was the collapse of fish stocks I kind of went back to him and said, look, you know, you environmentalists, you're always so busy selling the problem, but you don't sell the solution. And my brother was with us that day and he said, well, you know, Alana, if you think you're so great, why don't you have a go? And then Jonathan said, well, can I have some windows at Selfridges? And that was how Project Ocean was born. And we gave him all the windows. But not only that, we threw our entire creative arsenal behind ocean activism. And so we had everything from a bucking bronco whale down in the atrium <laughs> to an exhibition of fashion that had been inspired by the sea. But one of the key things with that project was that we collaborated with NGOs to really have a multi-stakeholder approach to the challenge. And I think what we were bringing to them was a whole new audience for conservation. And what they were bringing to us was an education 
in how everything we do impacts the environment. And what came out of some of the research that we did at the end of the project was that customers loved Project Ocean. They were really inspired by it, but they wanted us to focus in on, on our core product area, which was fashion. And of course, that led to me hiring a sustainability director because I had no idea what that actually was going to mean. And so it really was the beginning of a 10-year journey where we educated ourselves on our impact and where we began to put together a framework that we could actually start to change the system that we were working in. Well, talk me through the journey that you've been on in Selfridges. You know, tell me a bit about what the company was like, you know, say a decade ago, and the sort of transformation that you've sort of already tried to put in place. I guess what we've been looking to develop has been a, a, a framework for sustainability. I mean, there are some now very well-developed ideas around environmental, social, and governance, which is called ESG. Ten years ago, that was at its absolute infancy. So we were really trying to develop that framework for ourselves. So what impact do we have on people? What impact do we have on the environment? And how can we influence our choices and others' choices? So we started off really thinking of ourselves more of, as activists than anything else because we had this platform and we were able to speak loudly to a new audience for conservation. We kind of did it backwards because you're supposed to get your house in order and do all the hygiene first. And we didn't because I didn't really, well, I've never really followed a linear approach. And so then what we've gone back and done and said, okay, well, what is our impact and how can we try to understand it. And working with our brand partners has been absolutely essential in starting those conversations and understanding what their plans are. Because of course, all of those companies are also developing their own sustainability targets and journeys. And so all of that work culminated in us signing up to science-based targets, which were approved for all four businesses within the last 12 months. And that gives you a set of goals and parameters for the team to work towards. And we're now in the process of building the detailed plans that sit behind those. And so that's everything from how we run our buildings, how we ship our products, how we look after our people, and very importantly, what materials we sell. You'll probably know that we were one of the first retailers to get out of fur. And that was back in, I think, 2004. And since then, we've, we've got out of single use plastic bottles, plastic glitter, shark oil, endangered fish, of course. We've really started to tackle those materials that we think are most impactful. And we're working closely with suppliers to make sure that they feel the same way we do. I think what we're able to do as a retailer is to bring that to life in creative and fun ways for our customers, because a lot of it is about spreadsheets and that's not particularly what the customer wants to experience. And so what they do want to experience though, is more sustainable ways of shopping. So now we have a thriving business in rental we have a thriving business in resale. 
you can repair almost anything in Selfridges. And so what we've asked customers to do is to really tell us what they're interested in, what they want in terms of experience. And the results have been fantastic. So I think what we need to do now is really to build on those models. You know, we set up the right mindset. So having a sustainability mindset, we then have investigated the materials and now we're testing the models. And so those three things will come together in a plan that I think is going to transform our industry for the future if that doesn't sound too arrogant. But I think you've got to set yourself a big goal, haven't you? And then try and bring others along with you. Well, I'm really interested in that part. You know, Selfridges, you are a showcase for so many others. You have huge designer brands that, you know, partner with you. How do you get all the big fashion brands who you're selling inside to buy into your vision? How do you get them to come on board? Like I said, all of these brands are led by people who understand that they have a responsibility to the planet. And so the conversations we have with them are more about how can we do it together? And I'll be honest, you know, 10 years ago, even five years ago, I think there were probably some people in the industry who thought I was nuts. Did did you get odd reactions? Well, you know, there's a little bit of eye rolling, head padding, maybe. I don't know. I mean, but in general, what we found is that businesses are really keen to do it. They're just trying to figure out how. And I think what we need is energy behind the regulation and energy coming from the customer to insist that we move a lot faster. And I think we need the disruptors. We need those innovators to show us what could happen if we don't change. And so I think there's a really healthy dynamic between innovators and transformers. And and I think the transformers bring the scale and the innovators bring the ideas. And I think that's what's just starting to happen now in our industry. And it's very, very exciting. And for many people listening, I suppose there may sort of be a, a sense of scepticism or, you know, it may seem ironic to hear somebody in the world of fashion talking about sustainability. You have a store which is, you know, probably one of the grandest and most famous temples to consumerism. How do you think about the future of shopping and about how, you know, not just businesses who are trying to make change, but for ordinary shoppers, how should we be thinking about how to be more sustainable in the future? This is what I think is fascinating about the models and how could you transform the whole industry by saying, actually, a piece of clothing that you buy in a department store becomes almost an an asset and you're able to take that asset and either resell it or rent it out. And so your relationship with that product becomes very different. And I think that's something to explore. And I'm really interested in the idea of the end of ownership. What if that happened? So if we think about young people, they don't own cars. They often rent their houses. They subscribe to music. They subscribe to TV, to podcasts. so true. Yeah. And, And so why wouldn't they have that kind of relationship with their clothes and other 
products. That's fascinating. <laughs> that, that's that's a, a huge shift and change. You know, so much about you know the way we've sort of grown up in previous generations have been about coveting possession of high fashion, all these things. But you're right. You know, the mindset across every other bit of the world has shifted. So why not fashion? You know, I don't think it's going to be a hundred percent because there is going to be that your favorite sweater that you bought that you just are going to keep and wear until it falls apart. But there is just a shift in the mix and that's what I'm interested in. And I'm interested in experience too. So having that relationship with a piece of clothing makes that wearing of that clothing more about the experience than the ownership. How does it feel to wear a really fancy, frothy dress just once and not have it in your closet. These are all of the things that we're exploring. Also, the children of the future, they, they like to make stuff. They want to put their own identity into something. And whether that's by repurposing an existing garment or actually making something from scratch. So are we going to go back to having haberdashery departments? I don't know. But we've got to keep an open mind to all of it. And also in a department store, what is the experience in store and what is the experience online? And how could we create incredible experiences digitally where you could walk into a space and maybe that's where you buy your clothing. And maybe that's even where you wear it. So maybe you and I are going to meet finally <laughs> at, at some kind of digital party on the top of a candy mountain that's been built in Minecraft by a six-year-old. You know, it, there's... I mean, there's, I love this vision already. Let's <laughs> set <laughs> <That's> a date. <laughs> you know, exactly. So, so I suppose this is where I start going into the deep future, but I think you've got to... You've got to look that far in order to meet your customer where they're going to be and in order to prepare to get there. You know, equally from a business point of view, I think redefining waste is something that we need to do. So I've always said where there's carbon, there's waste and where there's waste, there's margin. And I think for any business person taking a good hard look at that supply chain and where they're actually wasting either time, money, carbon, talent is another thing I think we waste a lot. And that's where the diversity piece comes in. We've set up diversity council in each business and a diversity board that advises the main board. And already, you know, you're having conversations you wouldn't have had a year ago. So, you know, change is coming and all the things I described, maybe they won't happen, maybe they will. But the fact that we're open to it is going to make us a better business for the long term. I mean, I want to ask you more about all of that. Before we do, I want to ask you a bit about you, really. I mean, you're chairman of Selfridges Group. What does that mean? You know, many people will have heard of the department store, but obviously your remit is much bigger than that. Tell me a bit about the business, but also... A bit about what your role entails. Well, my role is the role of any chairman, which is really to set the goals for the business and to follow through with the governance that's required to make sure that those are delivered. But I think as a person who's deeply passionate about that business, I came to being chairman through being creative director, which is a pretty unusual route. I like to think that it brings 
a different mindset. And it really puts the customer at the heart of what I'm doing. And then the sustainability piece is also probably a little unusual, both for a creative person and for a business leader. At least it would have been in the past, but I'm lucky in that it's now become core, but also that it has its roots in a real understanding that we've got to do business this way. We haven't got a choice. And, you know, as I've said before, we were all fine walking around with our Sony Walkman and going to the shop for our groceries. And yet the digital disruption came. And so change is coming because of sustainability and it's going to be dramatic. And so as a business person, why wouldn't you prepare for it? Why wouldn't you prepare and be at the cutting edge of what that new world is going to require? And that sense of sort of seeing what's coming and adapting accordingly, you know, I suppose that's good leadership. And this podcast is essentially about two things. It's about sustainability, but it's also about leadership. So tell me a bit about your leadership style. Somebody once said to me, just stay curious. And I think that's what I try to do every day. And so whether that's going on the shop floor and asking people, what if they sold? What customers came in today? How are they feeling, particularly now when we've been through all of these closures because of COVID and, you know, people have had their own personal challenges. But I also really love understanding experts. That's one of the things that led me into sustainability was I love the science behind it. But yeah, I mean, I hope I have fun. That's the main thing. And, um, and my, my father and I worked together for many years. What, what sort of leadership lessons did you pick up from him? What I learned from him was you can't do it all yourself. You've got to have the best team you can possibly have, but you've got to be able to communicate and understand what's in their head and they understand what's in yours. And then just the importance of getting out on the shop floor and talking to people and then play to your strengths. With sustainability, I always say to leaders, come at it in the way that feels authentic to you. So if you're a finance person and you're really into the numbers, take a hard look at what money you can save through more sustainable practices. And if you're a product person, investigate where that product came from and find new brands and new designers who are working in a more sustainable way. I've got to ask, I'm sorry it's the case, but it is still quite novel to have a female leader in in a position similar to yours. So what is it like being a female leading an organization as big as yours? I mean, look, I was incredibly lucky. You know, I've worked with incredible women. I worked with Emma Soames at The Telegraph. I worked with Rosemary Bravo, who was the highest paid woman in the world at that time at Burberry. And that was very formative. I've also worked with some fantastic men. I mean, Paul Kelly at Selfridges was a huge mentor and so is my father. But I think what all of them had in common was that this idea that you could do anything as a woman. And so I feel incredibly lucky to have been empowered all through my career. So that's a huge privilege. But at the same time, I did find when I got to board level, that the environment was very different. Was that hard? Well, it's not hard. It's just, it's curious. It's a bit like understanding what it's like above the glass ceiling. There's interesting things about it. I remember being in one meeting 
and the men decided that we wouldn't have lunch. And because I was in another country, it was the only time I could call my kids. And, um, and so I suddenly realized my difference, which was I was young so that I had toddlers at home, you know, and I was prioritizing that. And eating, by the way, which I would never, <laughs> I would never deprioritize I'm with eating. You. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's just one example of how you feel different. But being a woman is great because you do see things a little differently. And I think that's my, the whole point of diversity, isn't it? Is that we all see the world differently because we all have different experiences. And so making that comfortable for people and making that possible for people and listening, really listening hard to where they're coming from, what they're saying is just going to make you a better business and a better business leader. You're trying to drive quite a lot of change across your organization. But, you know, if recent times have taught us anything, it's that change happens whether you want it or not. You know, whether it's the climate, whether it's technology and how quickly that's changing, whether it's the pandemic, which you know nobody saw coming and it's completely disrupted our lives and the way we work. For good leaders, how should they adapt and approach change and disruption? With gusto, I think... Um, <laughs> It's that balance between you've got to make people feel safe. People need to feel that you've got their back, uh, that there's not politics, that you're being transparent. And at the same time, you've got to be prepared for it to get a little bit messy and for things maybe to surprise you and to learn from those surprises or to adapt quickly and to be able to to change direction. But I think it's also important to look ahead and not focus always on the execution of today. And that's the art, isn't it, in leadership, is to be able to execute at a really high level down to the last detail. At the same time, as you're looking out ahead and seeing what could be coming for your customer down the line. the pandemic and how it sort of changed every part of working life. In a way, is there an opportunity there? You know, now that people are sort of, their values are already changing, they're much more people-centric, they've tried bits of digital technology they hadn't thought of before. Is there an opportunity to sort of drive change even faster towards the direction you were hoping? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think people are so alert and aware to what's needed. And I think whether it's the innovators that are coming up with some of these solutions, disruptive business models. For example, I'm going to talk to Charlie Burrell about reinventing farming and agriculture. And so I think those innovators are just going to get energy behind them because the appetite for change is going to be bigger and it's going to give more people confidence in supporting some of the more out there ideas that are coming to market. Well, in terms of that, in terms of sort of approaching out there ideas and selling them to, you know, people outside your organization, but also within, how do you shift a culture? How do you sort of change people's values? How have you gone about doing it? Well, I think you have to listen. I think that's the starting point. And the ideas are usually in the business, you know, 
we've done a piece of work recently that we call an imaginarium. And we actually worked on bringing a group of people, about 30 people together across the group from Holland, Ireland, Canada. And the output from those few sessions that they had over time was incredible. And I think it's that kind of work that allows you to shift things from within because you can't do it top down and it has to be rooted in something real. So you have to be clear that we are a business. We are here to make money and not be ashamed of that. And then understanding how we also need to do that within planetary and human boundaries. And so that's the process that we're going through and we have gone through. So we haven't got all the answers yet, but I think the answers are going to come from inside the business because we have incredible people here. And just finally, what do you sort of see coming up in terms of the near future? I mean, for example, we have COP26 taking place, which seems like an opportunity to make real change on this. What are you hoping to see from that? What's interesting about COP is that everybody's at the table this time. There's no doubters. We've got the US fully engaged. And I think we have this short period of time where we can actually really sign up to some important commitments. I suppose what I hope is that you'll get business fully involved. And I think that will be a big, big difference. And if you think about it, the four biggest carbon producers or sectors are really food, construction, transportation, and consumer goods. And if we could get those four to be really clear about what regulation is required and for governments to set regulation thoughtfully in a way that can make it absolutely a level playing field for business, then I think we can move forward from a business point of view to deliver these targets. And I think the other thing that we need is this really clear definition of what those planetary and human boundaries are and how we're expected to work within them. Because business is incredibly inventive. And I think business can rethink itself to fit within those boundaries once they've been articulated. My biggest hope is that now the ears of the decision makers are open and that we can get real commitments. Are you optimistic about the future? I have to be optimistic. Christiana Figueres says it best. You've got to be a stubborn optimist. So you need to be an optimist, but you can't, you know, hope is a beggar. So you've got to have a plan. And I think you have to keep pushing and you have to keep fighting. And I think the role of the people in the podcast, many of them do have access and influence. And I think that is our responsibility is to speak up and not just speak to each other, speak to people who don't want to listen. And so I'm hoping maybe there'll be some people who wouldn't have thought of listening to sustainability podcast who might just join in to this one simply because they like selfridges and shopping and having a lovely time. Because we, we also can't be so doom and gloom that we depress ourselves into paralysis. We've got to be hopeful and see it as a challenge that we can all embrace and that we can have fun doing. As I, you know, said before, that we can play to our strengths, do what we love 
and then have a purpose. You know, imagine doing what you love, but also having a purpose that's going to really make a difference for the next generation. I mean, that's a reason to get up in the morning. Well, Alana, thank you so much for chatting and for ending on such an optimistic note. Um, <laughs> and thank you for letting me launch a temporary takeover of your podcast. Thanks very much to everyone listening. Do tune in next week when Alana will be back in the host's chair with her first guest this season. And in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, please do tell your family, friends, colleagues, anyone who cares about the future about this podcast. Subscribe and follow How to Lead a Sustainable Business wherever you get your podcasts. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.